Greetings, programs, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew, and if you are joining us for the first time, uh, welcome. And if you are not, also welcome. Uh, this week, uh, myself and Simon, who is here, say hi, Simon. Hello, hello, everyone. Are going to be talking about two movies like we usually do, but I'm going to do something that I haven't done in forever, which is remember to take care of all the housekeeping stuff at the top of the episode. So, wow, um, I know, right? So. If you have been listening to the show or if you haven't, just be aware that we do have a Patreon and that can help us out a lot if you would like to support us. And if you do, you get bonus conversation every week, uh, including this week where we talk about 90s classics that we adore, um, including Waterworld. And what was the one you spoke about? Uh, we talked about uh, uh, Dark species City. Species. Strange Days. Strange Days. Relic. Uh, Relic, which is, that's not one we love, but it's... Um, no, no. <laughs> It does have things we love in it, though. And uh, it's and very we, good. And then we talk more about Waterworld, and I insult Matt's love of... Uh, uh, indirectly insult Matt's love of Kevin Costner. You, I, you, you should probably listen to it to find out why. That's not fair. It's not indirect at all, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and before we move on to the show proper, this is just your reminder that we are giving away three, count them, three digital copies of the movie Blackberry to three lucky Canadians. Um, unfortunately, American friends and worldwide friends, these codes will only work in Canada. But if you do live in Canada, head to our website, which is awesomefriday.ca. Uh, the pinned post uh, on the site is our giveaway. There's several ways to enter, and you could win a digital copy of the hit Canadian film Blackberry, um, which is honestly shaping up to be one of my favorite films of the year, like almost mm -hmm. certainly going to be on my top ten. And we got three copies courtesy of our friends at Elevation Pictures to give away. So uh, head over to the site and enter and you can win. And with Whoa. that, let's move how, into the show. I mean, it feels weird. How's keeping at the top of the show? It's almost like we're a proper podcast. Next, we'll have an advert for MailChimp and then uh, move, <laughs> move, move into an NPR style introduction. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Music. It's not going to be MailChimp. It's going to be Skillshare. But... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but either way, it feels good to remember to do these things at the top of the episode, like yes. professionals. And now it's we can good. move into the banter section of the show. So how are I you like today, it. Simon? Well, how are, how are things? I, I love it. What a start. What a strong start. Um, I, good. I, it was my wife's birthday yesterday, and so I treated her to uh, all the things she would want, apart from a day of silence and freedom from family responsibilities. Um, I gave her lots of uh, stuff. I think the thing I'm going to enjoy the most is the spice grinder and packets of un unground spices. Is that the way to describe them? We I found a shop. We found a shop recently. So if you are in the Vancouver area on the corner of night in Kingsway is a, uh, a dosa shop i'm not sure if you've had a dosa before matt you have surely you've had mm. dosa yes so I do dosa's, a dosa is, well we we i didn't know this we moved here a couple of years ago and we've moved into the border between vietnam town and dosa city and let me tell you as someone who loves vietnamese food and dosas this is a very very good thing it's like a really thin crispy like indian uh breaded pancake with with stuff inside like meat and cheese and spinach and all kinds of things and behind uh world of dosa or whatever it's called because we have best dosa world of dosa and like dosa life like next to each other we found this uh this little store that looks like it's nothing 
And in fact, you have to go down this ramp and it looks like it's just a door into a very thin like produce section. And it's TARDIS style Indian produce. Like, I don't know if you and Dan like Indian spices and Indian foods like dals and curries and spices, but it's just goes right under the restaurant, just rows, aisles and aisles and aisles of figs and spices and lentils and sweets and biscuits and bread and pakoras and drinks and vegetables. And it's just amazing. So um, my wife, who's a massive foodie, uh, was very, very happy in there. So I went back there and bought packets of uncrushed spices and a spice grinder. So I'm going to enjoy the fruits of that, I hope. And um, then we went to Van Dusen Guns for four hours, uh, which is very, very nice. And um, then we went to Viges, which is probably the best Indian restaurant in town, and spent an exorbitant amount of money eating probably the best Indian food I've ever had in my life. So I mean, Viges, Viges is a celebrity chef in every sense of the word. Yes. So it's, and he was uh, there and he was lovely. So was I good. would say that like Viges is exorbitant and worth it. Um, having been there a couple of times in my life, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's, it's spectacular food. It's one of the best restaurants in Vancouver, I would say. Yeah. And, uh, it was good. The whole day was lovely. Although I got murdered by my daughter completely. Uh, I have a nine-year-old daughter that Matt knows very well, so this won't surprise you at all, but she's so, she's almost too intelligent. I feel like I need to bring her down a few notches. Bring her down a few notches. My wife and I have spent so long, so many years, like, trying to give her as many opportunities to read and grow and and and, and develop as a person, and, and we've been too successful in that she is bright and sharp and absolutely murderous. Like, we were shopping for a balloon, and they always want to choose a balloon. And I chose the balloon. And she was like, can I choose the balloon? I said, no, you know, it's, she's my wife. I'm going to choose the balloon this time. She said, yeah, but I'm the one who's actually related to her. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like speechless in the middle of Poundland. Like, oh, you son of a... Yeah, that's a good first point. First off, but... let, me just, let me just first off just comment on the fact that you just referred to what I assume is Dollarama as Poundland. <laughs> <laughs> Which is How just, years, <laughs> which is just like that's not what that place is called. And B, there there probably is a place called that that is very different from what you are talking about. It's about five thousand miles away as well. Uh, the um, yeah, in I, the red light I, district of Amsterdam is where I would expect to find Poundland, sir. No. <laughs> oh my god, Poundland! Oh god, that's even better. And also, Poundland. let me just let me just say it's also pronounced oh. Poundland. Poundland, <laughs> like like Graceland. Sorry, Rachel. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, Pound Poundland is very big in Cardiff, and I haven't lived there in uh, in uh, sixteen years now. So um, uh, obviously, you can take the boy out of England, but you can't change Poundland to Dollarama intellectually. But um, uh, just, yes, that's if you wonderful. Wanna go, if you want to go to Poundland, man, I'm like it's 2022, <laughs> 2023. I'm not going to judge you for wanting to go to Poundland. You know, I always used to want to go to Poundland every day, but I'm getting old now. And like, if I visit Poundland once a week, then I'm doing well. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Middle age, man. Middle age. <laughs> wasted <laughs> on the young. It really is. Um, anyway, and let me, and what, I was, what I was going to say is that like anytime you watch a movie and there's a, like a precocious 10 year old girl and everyone, <laughs> and, and, I know, and anyone who's like 
they aren't like that. Like that's not a, a person that really exists. Now I can guarantee you there's a person like that who exists and it is your yeah. daughter, sir. So I will talk about this next week because the one of the things we're talking about next week, we has just released on Netflix. So we watched it last night and through that whole movie, myself, my son and my wife just kept looking over to my daughter. Who's there like sat with a big gleeful face because she is being, uh, uh, represented on screen as the demonic little spark that she is. Nice. Yeah. Good. How about you? What has your week been? What have you been up to? Uh, nothing. I had a very chill, chill week. My uh, my work slowed down a little bit, so I spent a lot of time doing things that I haven't really had a chance to do in the last two years, like play games. And oh, nice. Uh, yeah, right. I've been playing Mass Effect. I'm into the second one, and mm-hmm. it's. I sort of fine. get why it landed like it did in 2009 or whatever. Uh, I've definitely seen games like that in the interim. It's not blowing my mind, but it is a really well-made, it's a pretty well-written story. And they clearly had a ton of money for the second one, what with having yeah. Martin Sheen and a bunch of other celebrity voice yeah, actors. Yeah. And um, um, I see you're playing Stellaris as well. I'm enjoying that very much. I've got into that a bit more. Yeah, the problem with Stellaris is that it is exactly my kind of shit. So every once in a while, I'll tell my wife, like, yeah, I'm just going to play play games for a few minutes. You'll come in like four hours later and be like, where have you been? Where have you been? I've got to build a mining colony. This star has some helium. Yeah. And I haven't quite like worked out all the mechanics of Stellaris just yet. But like it, mm. it I mean, I'm the guy who still plays original 1992 Master of Orion, Master of Orion from good old games. So like it is. That's meant to be really complex. I've heard the first one's not so bad. Uh, the second one is, but um, it's it's a classic. I've been playing that game since it came out 30, 30 years ago. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, uh, it's you know, again, this is this kind of thing is exactly my shit. And more importantly, mm-hmm. Stellaris runs on my Mac. In fact, they made a new mm-hmm. version of Master of Orion not that long ago that I own. And when Mac OS went 64-bit only, mm-hmm. I stopped being able to play it. Yeah, just, and I just uh, I haven't scrounged together the funds to purchase a Steam Deck or anything just yet. So uh, when yeah. that happens, I'll be able to play it again. So fucking annoying. I lost about thirty percent of my Steam library. Even some things I'm still even some new things coming out. Indie games primarily won't run on sixty four bit Mac. Yep. But things are starting to get their own like specific Metal OS version. So that's good. But it's, it is bullshit. I hate it. I mean, I get it. Uh, I just also I don't. Like, like I'm not putting it on. I don't put it on Apple. I put it on the developers. I don't get it at like, all. There's like, like I guess I I I start. Here's what I'm trying to say. I don't put the the. Pro, I don't think Apple's the problem here. I think that I, like because I think they also they were they communicated very early like we're going to 64 bit only. This is happening. You should plan for it. And then all these game companies didn't plan for it. And they're like, well, we can't do it now. And it's like, no, it's just this game that people spent tons of money on isn't currently funding your bottom line so you're not putting any resources into it so i look, i'm not a technically minded person like you are when it comes to to the intricacies i can work my way around computers and stuff i just know that i've got a, a, a gaming pc upstairs that runs anything ever made through either directly or through em, emulation and i've got a, a mac an incredibly powerful macbook air which is very fast and zippy you're telling me it can't emulate 32-bit apps somehow in some kind of wrapper effectively i don't i 
it pisses me off that it's just locked out tons of stuff. And yeah, the, not every developer can afford to go back and do a 64-bit re-release of their older games. I mean, I think the problem is that... Uh, I mean, the great advantage of Windows is that it's backwards compatible to basically everything. And the biggest detriment and security flaw of Windows is that it's backwards compatible to just about everything. So it's a double-edged sword. Like, you can't have the stable uh you can't have mac os be as stable and secure as it is and also have the backwards compatibility that windows enjoys and i i get why apple made that choice and i get that like game developers are like we make more money from windows and consoles so why would we bother with this um but at the same time it's sort of a double-edged sword right like it's not like they didn't have warning is all I'm trying to say. Like, it's not like they weren't told this was going to happen and then did nothing about it. So it's uh, it's just a shitty situation all around. It's uh, I, I hate it. I hate it because like if I if I I'm just have my Steam library open right now. If I sort it uh, by currently available to run on my Mac, there are 27 games, and if I remove that filter, there are 110. <laughs> wow. So I didn't. I didn't lose 30%. I I retained 30%. So Jesus fuck. Yeah. It's uh, and, and there's a lot of stuff that like to be fair at least some of that is like, you know, um stuff I'll never really care to revisit. Um and stuff that's like dead. Like I have Stargate Resistance. I don't think that game even works anymore because mm. it was an online game and yeah. you know, I don't necessarily need to play The Dig again. Um, but there's a ton of games that like, I don't, I don't really feel like I need to play Blood Rain again, but I definitely own it, you know, like, and I would mm. like, I would like the option is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. So at some point I'll buy a Steam Deck and then it'll be fine. <laughs> that's true. Well, mostly that's mostly true, but yeah. Actually, every game I've tried to look up, I've looked up says that it is either compatible or at the very least like untested, but works. So. Yeah, I would say 90% of the, the stuff I try runs flawlessly, even when it says it doesn't. So it is it is pretty solid. Yeah. Good. Well, that's very much like movies, so let's move on. Uh, <laughs> um, I enjoy that our banter section often has nothing to do with our actual show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's not, I'm not joking. I'm, I do enjoy that. Um <laughs> Uh, so let's move on. We're going to talk about two things today. One TV series and one film. Uh, the TV series is technically the first two episodes are already out. So we're going to talk about that first. So let's talk a little bit about Marvel's secret invasion. Now, the first two episodes of the show were provided to press, um, and they are out now as of this recording. The first two episodes are available to stream on Disney plus and they basically follow Nick Fury uh, who is returned to Earth and dealing with the Skrulls who were characters introduced in uh, Captain Marvel with Brie Larson and for those of you who don't remember the Skrulls are shape-shifting aliens. They can take the form of any person although they do have like a default person they can take the form of and they've been existing on Earth since the 90s, since Captain Marvel took place, with Nick Fury having promised to find them a new home planet. And now, 30 years on, the they haven't got a new home planet, and there's a splinter faction of them who are frustrated and think are thinking, well, let's just let's just take Earth then. 
And um, that's pretty much the setup of the show. The scrolls are shapeshifters, so they've been slowly but surely taking the place of various uh, operatives and world leaders and so on and so forth. And now it's up to Nick Fury to deal with the fallout of his failing to keep a promise uh, whilst balancing his friendship with, you know, Skrull Ben Mendelsohn and uh, a number of other things. And his his once protege is, of course, the bad guy. Um, that about covers it, right? That about covers the first two episodes. I watched yeah, the second episode and... literally right before we watched this. And uh, I will say that if you are super into Marvel stuff, it's probably fine. Yeah, there's an I don't, I don't know if you covered this, but there's an element of the the leader of the goodies, uh, his daughter is connected with the leader of the baddies, so you got some familiar stuff going on as well. We see more in flashbacks and I mean it's just not uh, the problem with it for me is that I, it's just it's nothing I haven't seen before. Like, oh no, like the leader the leader of the good scrolls has a daughter and she is in league with the leader of the bad scrolls. And like I've seen I've seen that story before now it's it's exceptionally well cast like so ben mendelson returns as talos um amelia clark is here as his as talos's daughter gaia um you have sam jackson returning as uh nick fury you have kingsley benadir as the leader of the bad scrolls um gravik um who else dermot mulroney is the new president um who else is there's so many people in the Don show. Cheadle, who I thought is yeah. great in it. I think yeah, Don, Don Cheadle's really good in this. Yeah, Don Cheadle shows up in the second episode, reprising his role as Rhodey Rhodes. Um you have Christopher McDonald who shows up, who he's only in like three scenes in the second episode, but as soon as he shows up as the character he shows up as, you're like, Yep, that was correct casting. <laughs> um and Olivia Coleman shows up as a I guess she's not S.H.I.E.L.D. She's MI6. MI6, yeah. Yeah, and she is like, she's like the the British version of Nick Fury, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's wonderful. Like, the show is exceedingly well cast. And there's lots to love if you enjoy watching British actors chew scenery. There's going to be a bunch of stuff for you to enjoy. (laughs) Um, I would say that so far, and again, we're only two episodes in to... Uh, how many episodes is this show going to be? Six, I believe. Is it six or is it eight? Yeah, I've seen. It's I, only. I saw. I saw it described as a six-part special series. Right. So it's a six-episode series. We have seen two, and by this time, you can too. You can go and watch these episodes. So we're not going to spoil them, but like you can definitely go watch them. And so far, given that it's the first act of a story, it's not. The, the conspiracy so far feels super toothless and super boring. I think, that's a, I think that's a good way to put it. And what's kind of like, I don't want to be wholly negative because mostly I just don't care. It's not doing anything to make me care. I think it's interesting that you've got the scroll set up where they could be anyone. And it does reflect the, the fifties um, communist panic uh, and the, the MacArthur, uh, the, the, the whole political movement to, to get rid of commies where they could be anyone. It's the same kind of, panic that was underlying it's just, it's just when doing that though well, yeah but that's that's what i was going to like it has the opportunity to do that and it just doesn't the writing's just not there i mean i don't i i feel like i'm a bit of a broken record with mcu now and it's interesting uh, when we came back last night we put on the um avengers the first avengers movie yeah and it's just like 
it's night and day like the the quality and the writing the directing but also the tone like i don't think i um i don't think any any part of the mtu has ever been as good again as the first avengers i think they absolutely found it, it almost feels a tiny bit i want to say the word cheesy but not in a in a negative way like avengers feels really really like comic a, comic framey do you know when the zingers there's lots of comic frame so i moments. would say the thing about the avengers the great advantage that the avengers had is that the terrible person who is the director writer and director of that film and i would argue ultron age of ultron as well is really good at a writing zingers whether his style works for you or not it's really his style is really good at just like lacing in zingers one-liners yeah and also he was really really good at managing an ensemble of characters and i think james i think james gunn is also very good at that um and i don't think most of the rest of the mcu really demand i mean it's definitely been demanded of the russos and that's a whole other conversation but i don't think i think that we've talked about i said this before that like James Gunn is what we all wish Joss Whedon had been, had turned out to be. You know what I mean? And uh, I feel like, but I feel like Joss Whedon's terrible person though he is, his dialogue style was just a little bit more friendly than James Gunn's. Like, yeah, James, you can but... definitely tell that James Gunn got his start working for Trauma. You know what I'm trying to yeah. say? And, yeah. But either way, what I'm trying to say is that like, I feel like a lot of the MCU stuff just doesn't have that quality, that, yeah, that really friendly doesn't. quality. And it doesn't have, when it does have the zingers and this show does have a number of amazing line reads, but I'm, I'm pretty confident saying that like that line wouldn't work if it wasn't Olivia Coleman or that yeah, line so... wouldn't work if it wasn't Sam Jackson or that yeah. line wouldn't work if it wasn't Ben Mendelsohn, who is again, I would say Ben Mendelsohn is, wonderful in the show he's really his character has to walk the line between like his loyalty to his people and his loyalty to fury and as a as a friend and as like a political leader and i think he's doing a really good job <clears throat> in the performance with material that's just a, just a touch slight so uh, yeah the 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 it just doesn't feel like the the writing now for all these MCU projects. Maybe there's too many of them. Maybe uh, the the creative angle has changed. I certainly, I texted this to you. I think they're chasing an audience that is ten years too old. I think maybe they're trying to do their their andor here, and it's, they just don't have the quality of ideas or writing to do it. The best, the, what really really stood out for me is that there's one line in the second second episode that is a combination of Olivia Coleman doing a perfect delivery, but also a genuinely brilliant piece of writing that's about her um, coming through a door that was locked. And oh, uh, yeah, that I, is a great I, line. I, I don't want to spoil it because it is like, it stands out. Um, the rest of the writing is just, it's purely functional. In fact, that there's some moments where one character is in trouble and another one who's established to be somewhere else and doesn't know where that character is just appears to save them just because the story needs them to. And it's just that it's really weak. The writing is really, really weak and kind of, it, it doesn't feel compelling, even though the first episode has some hor- horrific moments that are meant to be compelling that are not compelling at all. But Olivia Coleman, this one line that she delivers that is, it almost makes you go, 
like it stands out so much it reminds you of what marvel used to have all the time really when you think back to it's not just joss whedon you you rewatch um the first captain america movie and that's the quality of that just the framing the scripting the the pace of it the the there's quality in all aspects and mm-hmm. it, i mean that I, just I, doesn't, it that, just doesn't it doesn't exist Sorry, I keep cutting you off. Go ahead. It doesn't. It, I just want to finish the point that it just doesn't exist in the MCU anymore. And I'm watching two episodes of this that should be a compelling spy drama where you've got elements of the thing. It could be anyone, and it's just like the quality's just not there. And the cast, I lo- I love Amelia Clark. I had no idea she was in this. So when she turned up, that was a genuine surprise because she acts with her whole being. Like when she smiles, she like smiles at you, but. Her dramatic work is fantastic as well. Olivia Coleman, you don't need to be told, and Ben Mendelsohn's fantastic as well. And and I don't like Kingsley Ben Adair. I think that's a massive miscast. I don't think he's good in this at all. Um, and uh, that's interesting. But, but beyond that, I mean, he's won. I googled him yesterday. He's won tons of theatre awards. He's a very established theatre actor. I don't think he, I think he's so. I don't buy him in this at all. I think he's so under. He's underplaying everything. Anyway. Um, my main point is I don't care because the writing's not there. Every time they try and use a, a, like a race parallel, it's not written well enough. It's just so slapdash, and uh, I, I just don't I don't care about anything that's happening that these very good actors are trying to tell me about because the writing and the direction and the, the story just isn't there. And you made a good point. It would be nice to have for MCU to start making things. Uh, I said they should go back to making things that are brighter, a bit more optimistic and a bit more, a bit more uh, pacey. And you said, yeah, they should also make stuff where you don't have to have watched everything else to understand. I think that's a really good point uh, because th- this, it, at this point, I'm like, I don't, there's some stuff I haven't seen. Or I don't remember the, this part of, of Captain Marvel. And I don't remember this part of when he was in the eighties and made this promise. I just don't care about what's going on on screen. You know what I mean? So I would say that, like, I would say that in terms of, like, stuff you need to have seen, <laughs> Secret Invasion is actually kind of doing well on that front, because A, you really only need to have seen Captain Marvel, and even if you haven't, the second episode recaps literally all the points you need to have seen from that movie. Like, uh, the, there's an intro that's like, here, here's the Coles notes, now you know everything you need. Yeah, I did appreciate that, but I still don't care. I mean, that's fair. And I would say that, like, I don't think the MCU is devoid of good stuff. I mean, just this year, um, it's, what, 2023? So we've had, um, what have we had in the last year? We've had Moon Knight, which I know you loved. We've had She-Hulk. We've had, I loved Thor, Love, and Thunder. Um, Guardians 3 um, and the Holiday Special, which I think I like more than you. Um, and it's, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's not so much that, like, the MCU is bad. I think the only one of these of the recent things that I would say was outright bad is pro and honestly, even Atman and the Wasp Quantumania had a couple of like decent performances in it. So I can't say it's all bad. And I didn't even I didn't like Moon Knight, but I recognize that at least like I get why people get it. But like I'm just having a hard time. I think the problem here for me is just me because I'm having a very hard time. And I said this to a colleague of ours, uh, Thomas, who uh, is the editor of For Real, that like I said a really hard time getting excited for this one. And that's my problem. Like I, if there is 
for a long time, I've sort of denied that, that superhero fatigue was a thing. And now I am so fucking tired. <laughs> I'm just, I am so tired of all of it. And I, for me, I, it needs to be, it can't just be good anymore. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, I don't think that Secret Invasion is a terrible show. I do think that for a Marvel show to impress me now, it has to be great. And yeah. I don't think that that is necessarily Endgame's fault because lots of people compare um, lots of things to Endgame. And I don't necessarily think that it's fair to say that, like, you know, every film needs to have the same stakes as Endgame. I just don't think that's even sustainable story-wise, storytelling-wise. Mm -hmm. um, but I do need them to be, like, a cut above. Like, it's... I'm having a hard time when they're just sort of okay. And I... And, and there was a time where I would argue that, like, maybe that's Marvel's greatest strength. Like, it used to be that if you wanted... To, if you were into, like, science fiction, then great we have the one where the billionaire puts on a suit of armor and if you're into fantasy then great we have the one where the guy in the renfair costume is a space viking and you know like and if you are into the spy story into spy stories great then captain america is an agent of shield like you could just watch all of these things and they didn't need to be interconnected and i think that what i'm trying to me a couple of my way towards here is that like Marvel's done a really good job of conditioning me to want to see everything. And I think that in allowing that to happen to myself uh, is to my detriment. Like I need it to be okay that I don't care. And I'm having a hard time with that. Does that make sense? Does that make any yeah, sense at all? It does. I was, I, in my head, it's interesting when you're talking about the things they've come out with the last couple of years. And I, I think, I feel like there's a main part of the mcu so the avengers your end games your anything that fury does that like i feel like that's the the main through line of the mcu action and i feel like the things i've enjoyed most from the mcu i did love moonlight because it was almost entirely separate from that main run of what was going on it wasn't really connected to anything in the mcu it could have been a standalone series about anything um she hulk uh again when it worked felt distinct from everything else and when the stuff that i in she hooked that i didn't think worked so well as when it tried to get back into that that main timeline and so i it does make sense what you're saying i um i i wonder what's going to happen at dc because i uh, i i thought for a long time that warner brothers had a really interesting opportunity to forge out uh, after Birds of Prey, and um, which kind of I see a connection between Birds of Prey and James Gunn's Suicide Squad, like the the way those movies are considered, are because it took a different route. They together took a slightly different route from MCU, and became something a bit more uh, singular, like their own kind of vision. This more sort of pop culture, -y, uh, mm -hmm. more more neon -y. Like I think Kathy Yan was a massive influence into what people want from movies. I'm, I'm kind of amazed that Warner brothers never just delivered a, a, a truck of money to Kathy Annis and be like, okay, now, now do the same with everyone else. You can't do that with a girl director who made a movie about no, girls. Tell, tell me about it. Jeez, it. Simon. Um, they don't might you, don't you read Twitter? Jeez. They might, put, they might <laughs> appear not 
gorgeous again. Like, oh god. Um, so I mean, that's that's I, a silly I, argument because they are all gorgeous all the time in that movie. So <laughs> I read a really interesting Twitter thread that was entirely on Birds of Prey is terrible because uh, there's this one scene where Harley Quinn squirts uh, cheese on her face when she's depressed, uh, ignoring the rest of the movie where she, Margot Robbie looks absolutely drop dead gorgeous, and yeah. everyone looks drop dead gorgeous. But anyway, I would ask why, you to why, show why, me that. I would ask you to show me that Twitter no. thread, but I'm already hit my no. maximum views for the <laughs> fucking day. Why, why do we give? Why do we give that that these people any brain space anyway? But my point is, like DC's got a really interesting opportunity here because I think Marvel's, for whatever reason, the main through line now and Secret Invasion is really evidence of this as well. Like, it's Secret Invasion is quite openly violent uh, in a way that a lot of MCU movies haven't been up to the point or mcu like main through lines haven't been and um i james Gunn's talked about how he wants his dc to be bright and optimistic and especially in, in, in relation to superman he wants to go away from that snyder grayness and get back to what superman is which is uh that I- iconic blue sky red flash clark kent smiling kind of Superman. Hopeful. He wanted to get back to being hopeful. A hopeful kind of Superman. And I think DC have got a great opportunity here to fill that niche that I think Marvel's missing at the moment, which is remembering what people actually want from comic book movies is actually a bit of bright escapism. Like I watched Supergirl recently. It's not a great movie, but it just feels so much brighter and more zippy and more, and, and the kind of thing I want to watch that involves superheroes who wear costumes flying around beating evil. And so I, 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 I'm going to come back and say that, like, I, I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily 100 percent accurate because I think that Marvel, Marvel's okay. opportunity is the same as I already said it was that, like, they could use all. They have so many properties, and so does DC, but they have so many properties, and they have so many opportunities to tell so many different kinds of stories. I think the mistake here is trying to market them as all being the same because Mm -hmm. if they would Mm -hmm. actively market secret invasion as being and i i don't know how to i'm not a marketing person i don't know how to pull this off but i think if they could market secret invasion as being a spy story first and not nick fury in a spy story like if they could Mm -hmm. if they would have the the wherewithal or the ability or whatever it is to say this one is for adults who like spy films. And then mm-hmm. to say about Loki, like this one is about people who like magic and science fiction. And then when Echo comes out to be like, this one is for people who like Kung Fu. And to just, mm-hmm. instead of being like the next adventure in the Marvel universe, just market them as their own thing. Like leave, leave mm-hmm. all the connection stuff in. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm. But market them in a more singular way. So mm-hmm. that yeah. when you come to the show and it's more more violent and a little more grim and dark, you sort of get what you're expecting and not mm. let down by the fact that it's not this other thing that Marvel is mm-hmm. maybe more famous for. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I think they need to... I think that the interconnectedness of these stories is their greatest strength and their biggest Achilles heel because mm-hmm. it's what they play up and it's what people have come to expect. It's certainly what, you know, influencers, which for better or for worse, like you and I, have come to expect. And mm-hmm. when it's not exactly the same thing over and over again, it's so interesting, but when it's not the same thing over and over again, we're like, well, why isn't it? 
and it's I find that super interesting because not even five years ago we were like, oh, it's always the same. Why don't we do something different? And then when they even try, we're like, oh, why are they trying? <laughs> Just, I feel like uh, we've I feel like we've come like full circle well, on think, this because I, I feel think like we're both right. We can be right about both things. So you're absolutely right. They, should, they the biggest Achilles heel now is they're trying to make it the same thing all the time. They're marketing it as the same story that you have to watch. There's no way my kids who watch the Avengers or Ant Man can watch Secret Invasion, even though they're saying oh it's you, it's part of the same story. So yeah, you, it should be entirely separated. And I think I mean you know we tend to reduce these worlds and like star Trek and star Wars, especially is, is guilty of this. We, you know, we reduce entire worlds to single themes. And I think it's a mistake because like we live, we live in a world where, you know, the Olympics come to happen, but also wars happen, you know, where we save people every day and we murder people every day. And there needs to be balance between those things in the media we represent that we have as well. And Mm -hmm. I just want, I just want Disney to remember that, I just want them to figure out that like the connections are their biggest strength. And I want them to recognize that maybe it's holding them back. And again, mm. I'm not a marketing person. I have no inside baseball. Mm. I'm not a film producer, but it feels like if they would market, if they would market it and maybe even use different distribution channels when these things are so different, like maybe secret war could be or secret invasion could be a little more violent a little more grim and on Hulu in the States instead of Disney plus, you know, like put it on your slightly more adult channel, like put it in your more slightly more adult distribution channel because it's a slightly more adult Mm -hmm. show. Not. Mm -hmm. And to your point that there needs to be like, that there's feels like there's one main through line. I actually mildly disagree because I think there's at least two or three going on at the moment. And I think that they might do better to, I think that somehow we need to be given permission as much as stupid as it sounds. I think it needs to be more okay for us to only care about one of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's fine if you're super into secret invasion and all the spy stuff in the Marvel universe. I think it's totally cool to like, also not give a shit about the fact that they're building the young Avengers, like very obviously building the young Avengers. Yeah. And I think it needs to be okay that um, if you, you know, whether or not Jonathan Majors comes back, I think it should be okay whether or not you give a shit about them building towards this Kang confrontation with the main team, mm, you know, mm. with this multiverse, with the multiverse. I mm. think that all of those things can exist separately and maybe they should. And mm. I think, again, I think that I'm just going to repeat myself again. I think that the the fact that they are so interconnected, either practically or via marketing is again, their biggest boon and they're the biggest thing holding them back. And mm-hmm. I, I need them to, I want them to figure that out. And going back to your point about DC, I think having James Gunn in charge, the first thing he announced is that like, you know what, we are going to have a main series. And also the Batman is going to be an Elseworlds world's title and not be connected. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's smart. I think that saying that like, don't expect any connection with this one. There's not going to be. And it frees up those filmmakers to like, build his own little Batman universe, right? And we're going to have, before two years are up, we're going to have a second Batman movie and a Penguin TV show, which are very clearly DC products, very clearly of a tone and not connected to the bright, shiny future Mm. that will be James Gunn's Superman legacy. Mm. And I think that that's smart. I think comics, comics can be all of those things. 
and I think you need to remember that the 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 visual like the the TV and movie version of that can also be all of those things. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think you're you're bang on the money there, absolutely. And I think it's it's uh, a time to potentially get quite excited about what DC is producing because it sounds like it might fill the void that we've been talking about i i just want quality storytelling really i want nice cinematography and i want color and i want quality writing and and i know <laughs> oh is that all you want yeah but it there i mean it's impossible to get those things <laughs> i mean if you is that, all, is that all you want if, if if you say that and someone says oh is that all then i think your retort to that should be like yes i want a baseline yes. level of quality <laughs> in my media sir I, like, I think I think these people need to start paying more money for writers, and this is what I've been saying about video games for a long time. Like, you can't just have fine writing anymore. You need to. It needs to be interesting writing, good writing. No, and, I mean, and, 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 and or single handedly change Star Wars because they got in a guy who didn't give a shit about legacy and was a good writer, and like it can be done. Yep, I mean the the MCU in particular, their greatest strength has always been that you care about the characters and you care about the performances of the actors playing those characters. And I think we're not going to lose that. I think that they, mm-hmm. I think their casting department is amazing. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, and I think that they are also very good about recognizing when they've done something amazing, which is why we're getting an Agatha Harkness TV show. I don't know if that show is going to be any good, but am I going to show up for a six episode series or a nine episode series of Catherine Hahn vamping at the camera? You're goddamn right. I'm going to watch that show. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I love Catherine Hunt. She's he's incredible, and uh-huh. I'm sure I'm I I have no faith. I I don't know either way whether that show is going to be good, but I will tell you that I will enjoy Catherine Hunt in that show. Yeah, in the same in the same was... in the same way that I like most of the people in the show we're trying to talk about. Exactly. Right. One one one. I think we've probably talked enough about it now. But one thing I want to mention is that I am fascinated by Kobe Smulders' career tra- trajectory. I'm always really, really interested in actors who break out of the molds they've been in for years and years and years. It's incredibly hard to get out of that rut, um, as so many TV actors have demonstrated. I'm always fascinated by the ones that get out and establish themselves as something really, really solid in film. And uh, watching Kobe Smulders in this and in The Avengers, but obviously this is the most recent one, and she's really... uh, I would love, love, love to see her lead like a john wick style action franchise now i think she's really got great screen presence she carries off action really really well um so basically i i what i'm saying is she should be in fast x part two for for sure um and then take it from there i mean it's interesting you say that because and i love kobe smulders a lot um but she's done that she was in she had a tv show called Stumptown, where she played a hard drinking private investigator and nobody fucking nobody fucking watched it. What was that on? I haven't heard of that. Uh it was on ABC and I think Disney I think it's on Disney Plus. Like um, I wanna see I wanna see her do a, an extraction style stunt movie. I think she'd be great in that because she sells it and she's she's yeah. got great presence. I think I think that she might be just stuck in I think she might be just stuck in in the Marvel machine at the moment. Cause, and, but the other thing I will say is that like when I have seen her in other things, and again, I very much, I appreciate when she shows up, but I've also seen her show up in things like the second Jack Reacher movie. And to be mm-hmm. perfectly clear, she is the least of that film's problems. 
but mm-hmm. she is she is one of that film's problems. So like it's oh, a really? it's it's a it's not a good performance. And to your point, oh, where no. she has where she has great screen presence, I think she has. There's a there's a big set piece at the end of episode one of this show that I think she's really good at. And I also think she's in the first scene. And I think of that scene, she has one of the worst line reads I've seen in a Marvel thing ever. So <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, it's just, it's just, it's so, it's so min maxed with her. And, mm-hmm. and I do, I do when I like her, I think when she's great, I think she's great. And when she's not great, I'm like, eh, really? <laughs> it's, and so I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kobe Smulders. I think most of the time, 99% of the time, I think you're great. And if you haven't seen Subtown, it's a good show. You should totally watch it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, occasionally I'm like, uh, maybe you could have used one more take there, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. In fact, you you specifically should watch Stumptown because the uh, the main other person in Stumptown, she plays a Marine who's a PI um, who's trying to dig her like brother out of debt or some something like that. Or if someone's in debt, she's trying to dig them out of debt. Um, and her best friend, and who's a bar owner, is played by Jake Johnson, who I know is your man crush. So really, oh, I love Jake Johnson, yeah, and see. he's always like alcohol related. Uh, he's great. Drinking Buddies broke me. What a great film! Yeah, but yes. But anyway, that show ran for I think one season uh, oh, on ABC, ouch. and you should uh, you should check it. It's not bad. It's a good. I'll check it out. It's a solid network show. You know. Yeah. If you, you know, if you like the likes of like, you know, Castle or any of those kinds of shows. Oh, Castle's not good. You like Castle, don't you? I like Castle to a point. Um, (laughs) I think it's a very good entry in the handsome rogue helps gorgeous female police officer genre. I can't think of a single other show that would fit that mold. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Not bait. (laughs) Okay, that's, let's. That's 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 definitely bait. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're not we're not starring two episodes of the show, are we? We're not we're not giving opinions. I guess. I mean, if if we're gonna give opinions, it's. I think it's hard to rate something having only seen the first act of the story. Mm-hmm. I would say that what I've seen is probably fine, but the story is going to be made on the second act twist, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. no. We haven't yeah. seen enough of it. I don't think to really. To really uh, to to completely say whether it's good or not, but I'll say that what I've seen is perfectly fine. It's perfect. It's fine. It's a three star, mildly forgettable but competently made and acted show. Mm-hmm. Three stars, fine. It's, do you do you concur? Two, no, it's two stars for me. I just don't care. Yeah, it's fair. Like, it's not. It's, there's no. The quality's not there to make me care. I just don't care. I mean, for me. Um, I would say that it is three stars just because I get to see Olivia Coleman being the bad, the good bad guy <laughs> or the bad good guy. Cause yeah. that scene, that line you were talking about, a is amazing. You're not wrong, but the interrogation scene, the whole interrogation scene that follows it, mm-hmm. every single thing she says is gold. And, mm-hmm. and she's only in the first episode very briefly, but every single thing she says is gold. And mm-hmm. Uh, as someone who's been watching Olivia Coleman since she was on Peep Show and also Mitchell and Webb Look, um, I I enjoy. I, I know that everyone loves her as a dramatic actress, but I really enjoy. I really appreciate when her comedic sensibilities come out because I think they really, mm-hmm. I think they really play well with a more sinister character like the one she's playing, mm-hmm. yeah, or sure. a more morally gray character like the one she's playing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Okay, should we move on? Yeah, we probably should. We've been talking too long. Um, but we have a lot to say, because it's Marvel. Um, so let's move on. Now we're going to talk about a, sh- a movie that is a little bit uh, more under the radar, a little bit more indie. Uh, but not that indie. We're talking about that next week. Spoiler alert. Um, so, so, <laughs> nice. So, Simon, why don't you give us the rundown on the upcoming IFC film starring Mark Duplass and Sterling K. Brown, Biosphere. So I don't want to tell much about it because one of the joys of this film is is learning through their really well-written conversations what their relationships are, what their history is, and who they fundamentally are. So basically, uh, there are two men um, it's, uh, stuck in a biodome, a biosphere, um, surviving off their own grown food and their own bread fish, and they are the they are seemingly the only two people left. Uh, it's not a biosphere experiment like Viking was. This is a this is a survival biosphere, and it's very dark outside. There's no light, and it's their understanding that the Earth is dead. Something bad has happened. Something really bad has happened. Yeah, I think and, I think it's fair to say that they are the last two men on Earth. Yes, and um, they, uh, Sterling K. Brown, it's established very, very early on, built the Biodome, and it's established very, very early on that he he has been friends for a long time with Mark Duplass' character, Billy. Um, But um, everything else you learn about them, it's one of those beautiful, very theatrical style scripts where there is no Prince of Persia style exposition. Like you have to pay attention and you will, if you listen to their conversations, you will absolutely uh, understand what their relationship is in terms of their relationship up to that point and what their positions were in the life before that point. And then that informs things that happen (laughs) in this movie. Um, Don't maybe don't make the mistake I did, which was, for whatever reason, think this was a character drama, a straight character drama uh, about two people surviving with each other, because there's an element of that, but it's it's not. So I would say it's, that this film is billed as a comedy. I think you could make an argument that it is a, quote, dramedy, but it is definitely a comedy first. Like it yes, is. It's, it's a comedy film. It's very yeah. funny. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say anything more about it, because um, my main criticism of this film is that I've uh, I've never seen a film where I have been angry that it wasn't a stage play in front of me. It's written, directed, set, and performed as a two-handed stage play. It would look absolutely beautiful on a proscenium arch stage. And I want to be at the front row of that audience with these two people acting the shit out of this story. Uh, they're both really, really good. I'm not sure I've seen Mark Duplass and stuff. I know you talked about him recently. Uh, he's really, really good. He reminds me a lot of um, Mark. Uh, who was in the wrestling thing? Mark Macron. Mark. Mark. Uh, the, uh, he was in a wrestling thing with fe- all female wrestling TV show with Annie from Community. Yeah. Mark. Mark, Mark what are you saying? His last name? Mark Marin. Okay, him reminds me of him in his kind of delivery. Sterling K. Brown and Mark Duplass have very different line delivery styles and it represents their two characters here who are very, very different. And 
it just works beautifully. It's really, really well written. Um, uh, the um, uh, it uses quite a lot of um, montage to move the story forward, and and sometimes I feel like that is a bit of a recurring tool that perhaps he overuses but i'm being super picky because this film goes places places you are not expecting it to go and uh if you stick with it it earns that uh it earns the right to go to those places it does it really really well and it actually covers ground that is really tricky to cover in movies and it does it in a really nuanced way and that's really all i want to say about it uh yeah i mean I'm just reading over my notes from when I was watching this film. And the, f- the first note in my list is how am I going to talk about this? Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fundamentally anything you say about it from that is a spoiler, including. Yeah. Anything you say beyond the setup, which is that they are best friends. They're the last two men on earth and they're the only two people on screen. Anything you say beyond that, I think does a disservice to the experience of watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film is extremely my shit. And <laughs> uh, that if you if you've listened to the podcast before or if you're you know one of the few unfortunate people who know me in real life, you know that <laughs> films that feel like plays are extremely my shit. And mm-hmm. this film, when you say that you're angry, it wasn't a stage play like, yeah, that's a fair reaction because like this is a, an amazing single set, single location story mm-hmm. that hinges on conversation. It's it's very talky mm-hmm. because it has to be because nothing else is going on. I think they do do more interesting things than they could on, or at least, I don't know, more interesting, but they definitely do some things that wouldn't be possible on stage, just in terms of the way they, just in terms of the way the camera moves. Um, but like, that is a very, I don't think that's a problem. I think that's just a, the nature of it being a film instead of a play, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and to say anything more than that would be, a disservice to anyone watching it for the first time. I I directed a lot of theater over six years teaching it, and one of my favorite um, that that moment where it gets activated, <laughs> like the creative thing, is like when I'm reading something or reading a script. I'm like, this is really hard. Like, how can I do this? What's the most creative way I could do this on stage? And as I, I had the same kind of reaction to you, is like it does use the camera really, really intelligently. And I was just thinking all the way through all the things I could do to capture that same essence on stage. It just really fired up that old creative urge of me to, to get the actors out into space and start building. Especially there's one, <laughs> there's one key moment that I, I would love to find a creative way to do. Because you're right, you're not wrong. I'm not disagreeing with you, apart from the fact that, yes, it could be done on stage. But and I want to be the person to to solve that problem. It made me quite annoyed that I'm not involved in theatre acting anymore. It really inspired me to do something with it. And it's it's um, it's interesting at the beginning. I think when you watch a character drama, you've got to you've got to accept that you've got to pay attention. It's not visual popcorn like a lot of other movies. It will hold your attention through visuals and, and so- fancy editing stuff, and. Uh, <laughs> And with with character dramas, you do have to give it a bit more brain space. And what I loved about this film is that it found a, uh, <laughs> it does interesting things with what's happening to really get you in and involved. And it didn't feel like an effort to watch it at all. So I would say I'm going to mildly disagree with you that there's no Ooh. visual popcorn, uh, because if you 
<laughs> you, you, you can't talk about that. No, no, no. I was just going to say, if you are, say, my wife, you would consider every every single facial expression of Sterling K. Brown. <laughs> and honestly, she's not wrong. Like the, He's great. This, he's so good. He's, he's, we already knew Sterling K. Brown was amazing. Um, but... He has a couple of line reads in this movie that I absolutely will not spoil. But there's yes. one in particular where he just makes this face that is, in that moment, all of us. Yep. <laughs> and it is, he, it's, it's such a memorable moment. And I just, I can't, I can't talk about it. It's really. Also, I, they're great actors, clearly. And they're the kind of theater actors who add color. And the other actor, you can, I think you can sometimes tell when a performer adds a bit of color that wasn't rehearsed or prepared and it adds to the scene beautifully. And there's, you texted me a moment of when he has a reaction to something, a physical reaction, he starts doing something that I am a hundred percent convinced that that was the first time he did it. And it is absolutely like, perfect you could not have directed that moment any better and i think that's him as a performer finding that moment yeah the moment you're talking about and i'm I, again i'm not going to spoil any yeah of it, we got to dance around it but the moment you're talking about is if it isn't the first time that it happened it's definitely something that just came up as like an improv moment in a rehearsal yeah. right like it's not yeah. it's it wasn't on the script it was yeah. just like it it's a perfectly like natural reaction for that character to do this thing at that moment and mm. I, it's it actually is one of my favorite moments in the whole movie, um, because Sterling K. Brown is great, and well, I think you'll find in case you didn't like realize, um, but this is the directorial feature length directorial debut of Mel Elslin. Elslin, I don't know who that is. So she is a uh, she works for with the Duplass brothers. They have a production company. She's the president of their production company. But this is the first movie she's actually directed she's she's written movies and produced a lot of movies but this is her directorial debut and i legitimately cannot wait to see more from her yeah um it's good and this is a you know this movie i think debuted at tiff last year and i think it played at sundance i didn't go to tiff and i missed it at sundance but like when people ask me what i like about film festivals it's films like this because they give you something that's unexpected and it's the kind of thing where you can be like when when Mel Eslin eventually does something that gets a makes a much bigger splash you can be like mm. I knew mm. that was going to happen because I watched yeah. Biosphere like yeah. <laughs> um and yeah the way that they move the camera the way they interact with the material and she also co-wrote it with Mark Duplass and just the, the the way the dialogue works is all incredible. And I, I cannot wait to see more from her as a director. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, I, I also, you've definitely seen Mark Duplass and stuff, right? Like, I don't think I have. Like, when we talked about him a few weeks ago, I went through his filmography and I, uh, uh, his work rather. And I, um, I don't think I've seen him in anything, but I recognize him. I mean, he's definitely been in stuff right like he uh he was very big in the sort of like mumble core movement when it was sort of mm-hmm. at its height um oh I safety mean, not guaranteed there yeah you, you've That's definitely seen safety not guaranteed uh yeah. you've what else i haven't seen 
anything else. Uh, you should though. Like he's really, really good. If if you're enjoying It's Always Sunny, I think I spoke last week about you should maybe check out the mm-hmm. league as well. And he's one of the main mm-hmm. characters in the league. Um, mm-hmm. which you might or might not appreciate because something like 75% of the dialogue in the league is improvised. Like, the, oh. like, like all, all the main characters, all the main actors are given like what the scene needs to accomplish and then they just go. It's, it's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and, uh, I, I really, I, uh, I really, I really enjoy him. He's one of the, one of my favorite parts of, even though I didn't actually finish season two, but I really loved him in the first season of The Morning Show as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and next week for our bonus round, Simon will have watched the best episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is called The Box. And it's, oh, is that my uh, homework? Right. And that's your homework. So you can watch the single best episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is Andy Samberg and Andre Brower interrogating Sterling K. Brown for an entire episode um, right. as a suspected murderer is i think i was talking with our dear friend rachel about this the other day that like i brought it up because i would watched it recently and i think i think we came to the conclusion that it's the best episode of the series i think there's other episodes in that conversation but i think it might be the best single 22 minutes of tv they produced in that show's entire run mm-hmm. okay, um, that, for sure. and if you and if you like stories with like two to three characters in a single room talking a lot like biosphere uh, starring Sterling K. Brown, then you're in for a treat, my friend. So, <laughs> yeah. Good. So how many stars be. for Biosphere for you? I'm going to say it's going to be a four for me. This is a four-star movie. I uh, oh, I want to talk about why it's not a five. Um, you can't. You can't say anything. I, uh, it's a four-star. It's a very high four-star movie for me. Um, I, I really, really, really liked it a lot. Uh, and yeah, I would it say directed beautifully as well. One of our one of our mutual friends, their their letterbox review is: if I gave you ten thousand guesses, you would never guess where this movie goes. And <laughs> yes, that is correct. I'm really glad though. I'm really glad I wasn't. I didn't even know anything. I tend not to look into movies if I've never heard of them. I I like to go in uh, raw raw and. Uh, uh, <laughs> You like to raw dog your movies, is what you're saying? <laughs> raw dog the movies, experience them, you know, naturally. And I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to lose any of the sensation of the movie. And wanna... um, and if I don't, if if I don't really like the movie, I'll just pull out near the end. And uh, <laughs> but these. <laughs> Let's, let's be fair. When you pull out near the end for you, that's really like before the end of the first act. So let's just. <laughs> oh, whoa! <laughs> hey. Some extended trailers are good, all right? <laughs> Look, all like, I'm saying is I, that... I just like a t- there's a lot to be said for a tight 90. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's supposed to be minutes, not seconds. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. What was I saying? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. Oh, I don't know. Four stars, very good. Go watch four, it. Four stars and there's there's... There's nothing we can say about why it's not five because that would yeah. be a spoiler. Um, yeah. But I fully expect for a certain segment of the audience, this will be a five-star movie. Yeah. I think there's there's also a segment for which it'll be a three-star movie. I think that some people might find it to be... I would, say, I would say that my, my one major problem, which is not a spoiler, is that at like 110-ish minutes, it's probably about 15 too long. 
Like it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a it's a little bit on the long side for what it's trying to be. Like imagine imagine a really good episode of Black Mirror that's just slightly too long. That's basically what we're talking about here. It's not bad. I, it's in fact really really good. It's just slightly I would slightly over long. I would definitely take out a couple of the montages, as I mentioned earlier. I'm not sure that would equate to 15 minutes, but I, I can see where you're going with that. It didn't feel too long, but um, yeah, I can see what you're saying. But that's a very minor point. I mean, when I mean, it's uh, this again, good, it's like still more a four... of good is still good, right? It's still yeah, it's star. still still a four-star movie, and like I'm I'm reaching to be like, maybe this is what you'll feel, but ultimately like I'm unreservedly recommending that you watch this film. There's some great Oh, some great lines. I mean, I just we can't really talk about any of them, but there's some great lines. Just yeah. the uh, and go watch this movie, and then we'll talk about it in a bonus round another time. Yeah, good. So we know what we're watching next week because I've already seen one of them, and I'm going to see the second one with you on Tuesday. So I'm very very excited. That is correct. We will week. be we'll be slightly behind, but next week we will be talking about uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And and also another movie, which I will uh, be watching soon. Nimona um, on Netflix. Yeah, so both those movies are out. So if you want to, uh, go and watch those two movies, Dinian Jones mm-hmm. and Dial Destiny and Nimona. And then we we will keep it, as we always do, as spoiler-free as possible. But then yeah. maybe if you're worried about um, listening to us talk about a movie you haven't seen, you can have solved that problem ahead of time. So there maybe we go. do that. Win-win. Yeah. So, uh, other than that, though, thank you so much for listening. Um, if again, if you're new here, uh, welcome. And if you're not new here, thanks for sticking around. Uh, and if you've liked what you've heard, please consider giving us a review on your podcasting platform of choice, uh, or like, subscribes. You know, smash that like button, smash that subscribe button. Um, uh, all of our episodes are now being auto posted to YouTube as well. So if you are listening on YouTube, uh, welcome. And uh, if you'd like to support us a little bit more directly, we do have a Patreon. And once again, patrons uh, at every tier do get access to our weekly bonus conversations. Um, which, if you like the main show, you'll probably like those too. They're a little more loosey-goosey with what we talk about. But they are, uh, I think, they're, they're, they're just as fun, if not more so. Um, you can find us on the social medias, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at awesomefriday.ca. Um, we are, or I am, in the process of setting up alternate social media feeds just in case, you know, Twitter just continues to when. explode for, for when yeah. it fully explodes. Um, and we'll have that information on the site eventually. Um, but in the meantime, you can also find me, that's Matthew AF, in most of the places that matter, and Simon at Temporary Pen uh, in most mm-hmm. of the places that matter. Um, and once again, uh, do head to the website, which is awesomefridays.ca. Right now, we, again, are giving away three copies of uh, BlackBerry, uh, one each to three lucky Canadians. There are several ways to enter, and uh, you can do that uh, from the website. Uh, we record this here in Vancouver on the unceded lands, unceded ancestral lands of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. And one last time, thank you so much for listening and joining us on this awesome Friday. That's fine.